Finding Purpose, The Song of My Life, Episode 2, High School, Church, and Spirituality. I started high school when I was 14 in 1964, and I was looking forward to it, even though the first few weeks were a little scary. As a freshman, being thrown in with the older kids, like the seniors, who were between 17 and 18, this can be somewhat intimidating. Arroyo High School was located in a suburban area just a short walk from our home. As kids, we were already familiar with it because they had a local swimming pool, basketball courts, and a tennis court where we could play and run around. My sisters and I took swimming lessons there in the summer. I would say it was a very typical high school with all the American traditions like the sports teams, music and theater programs, and of course the proms that included the beauty contests for the girls. Since I have lived in Germany for many years, I am well aware that the young people here grow up watching American teen movies, and they tend to admire the fun-looking high schools in the USA. Of course, in the movies, everything is exaggerated, but my grandkids have actually asked me if we had lockers for our books in high school. In the films, there are always fun stories of the teens gathered around their lockers involving some kind of drama or excitement between the girls and the boys. As a freshman, I got right into the swing of things, trying out with my girlfriend to be a pom-pom girl. Her older sister was a cheerleader, so we were following her example. Since I liked to dance, we had fun practicing the routines together with music to prepare for the auditions. My girlfriend was chosen for the new team, and I wasn't. It was just as well because I had no interest in the boys' sports teams and tournaments. My favorite class was art, which I signed up for all four years, and I always looked forward to it. Through the sports program in my junior year, we were introduced to modern dance, which I immediately loved. I had some dance classes as a child, but I had never heard of modern dance or expressive dance as it was referred to then. The next school year, the teacher asked me if I would want to be a teacher's assistant for the younger students. She gave me an assignment to come up with my own idea of a project for the girls. Since I was into poetry at the time, I thought it would be cool to ask the girls to choreograph movements to a Japanese-style haiku poem. In English, the term is loosely applied to any short poem with certain characteristics, usually associated with nature or contemplation. My teacher was pleasantly surprised at the outcome of the girls' performances. A voluntary class that I chose was speed reading, which was fun at the time and has definitely come in handy over the years because we learned a system of how to scan through texts and find the main points. In those days, our typewriting classes were with the new and popular electric typewriters. We were graded on how fast we could type. So I suppose the main emphasis was to prepare us for being a secretary in the future. Unfortunately, there were no German language classes offered, which would have been a big help for me later in life, but I did take Spanish and French. I think I got pretty bad grades in French, though. At that time, I was still involved with my family in our Methodist church that I had grown up in. It was normal to be helping out with babysitting or Sunday school because my parents were committed members of the congregation. In their first years there, Mom was a Sunday school teacher and sang in the choir, and Dad was on the finance committee. The local church originally began with a young pastor, and they met in a rented school auditorium. 
As the congregation grew, the big decision was finally made to build their own church. My dad's contracting company helped design and build a simple but beautiful sanctuary and all the extra meeting rooms that were necessary. He was really proud of that accomplishment, of course. Sunday church attendance became a problem for me when I no longer wanted to comply to the traditional dress code. It was normal that everyone got dressed up, the men wore suits, and the women and girls wore dresses. Not only my teenage independence was developing, but mainly I just wanted to wear my bell bottoms and my long hippie skirts. Besides that issue, the church service was boring and there was nothing else that I could relate to anymore. Despite the traditions and social gatherings that I also found superficial, I still did believe in God and what I had learned at home and in Sunday school. Saying grace around the table before dinner and a simple prayer before bedtime was standard, not only in our family, but I think in many American homes in the 1950s. Both of my parents had their Bible on their nightstand, and I received my first Bible with a white leather cover and my name engraved in gold when I was 12. I was disappointed, though, because it didn't have nice colored pictures in it, as I had requested from my mother. My dad, as the youngest of a large German family in Washington state, also grew up in church. His parents brought their faith from the old country. Their denomination was the German Congregational Church. Whenever we visited from California, we would go with all the aunties and uncles and cousins to their services on Sunday. I vaguely remember them singing some of the original German hymns, for example, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In German, the original hymn written by Martin Luther is Ein feste Burg ist unser Gott. Maybe you are familiar with it. A few years ago, in my mother's files, I discovered my baby baptism certificate. It took place in their home in Kashmir, Washington, and was signed by the pastor. When we visited as a family, we stayed at my Uncle Herbert's house, where my grandmother Matilda also lived. Her room was decorated with a scripture plaque of the Lord's Prayer and the famous picture of the Lord's Supper, which you are probably familiar with. In her broken English, she had written in my autograph book at the time, God bless you, which I still have as a special keepsake from her. Since I was only a child at that time, I never had much of a conversation with her, but I do remember her fondly, her apron pocket with lifesavers in it, her long gray hair wrapped in a bun, and her love for her pretty flower garden. My mom told me once that she was fascinated to be around her new parents-in-laws and learn their German traditions and all the German foods that they prepared. She learned how to make a German coffee cake called Kuchen, which became a favorite also in our family. As far as how they practiced their faith in God, she was impressed by seeing their morning breakfast ritual. First, they kneeled on the floor by the table in prayer and then read the daily scripture from their booklet, The Upper Room. In German, it's called Der Wegweise. I like to think that their prayers included us grandchildren. I'm sure that they did. There is a saying, never underestimate the power of prayer. The example of their lives and simple faith did impart to me at a young age the fact that God exists and we can turn to him as our father and to Jesus, his son. One thing that has stuck with me down through the years is Psalm 23. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm sure that it was a scripture memory assignment in Sunday school. So even though I had all of this Christian religious background, once I became a teenager and the flower power music and message was taking over, it was easy to just put it aside and gladly participate in all the new fads and the lifestyle of the hippie movement. I think that my perspective at the time was more like I'm evolving in my faith and finding a new kind of spirituality rather than completely abandoning that old-time religion. The trouble with that attitude was I was very naive in following the musicians that were propagating the use of drugs in their music. The Beatles' music, their lives, which we could follow in all the latest teen magazines, showed them in India with a guru and all their beautiful British girlfriends in bright-colored saris. It was such an inviting picture, and they were singing about love and peace through meditation. You can still find videos of them online singing and making music together out in the guru's gardens. Now I wonder how much they paid him for teaching them how to meditate. That would have been the farthest thing from my mind and my friends who were enthralled with their example at the time. During the lunch breaks at high school, I would be sitting out on the grass reading my newfound books about Gandhi or Yogananda and Siddhartha. I wasn't interested anymore in the traditions of the school and my parents. I was on a search for the meaning of life, and I wanted to experience God. Then there was Timothy Leary, an intellectual psychologist who made his mark in 1967 speaking at the Human Be-In, as it was called. There were 30,000 hippies in the Golden Gate Park of San Francisco who came for the music and listened to him. For some reason, I wasn't there that day. His message was coined with the phrase, tune in, turn on, and drop out. He was urging the hippies to embrace cultural changes through the use of psychedelics. He was preaching that they should detach themselves from the existing conventions of our society. He was encouraging everyone to get high on LSD, open your mind, and enter into the spiritual realm. And of course, many of the band's songs had that same message. For example, the Jefferson Airplane singing The White Rabbit. It seemed harmless at first until we started hearing of people who had bad trips and kind of went crazy, or others even died of various kinds of drug overdoses. The ironic aspect of his guru-type message about how to experience God didn't line up with other things he said. He announced to the hippie world that God is dead. Somehow that made its way into my mind. Years later, my dad told me that I had repeated that new philosophy to him, saying God is dead. I don't even remember ever thinking that, though. In my high school, we had not studied the philosophers or the psychologists of the past. Otherwise, I would have recognized that his proclamations were not new at all. He was just a new representative of the theories of the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche who, being an atheist, wrote a book titled God is Dead. His idea was that the Enlightenment had eliminated the possibility of even the existence of God. His big idea went much deeper than a belief that there is no God.
So what I'm saying is that it was really ironic that the hippies who were looking for God and at the same time listening to Timothy Leary, who was actually saying that God is dead. It's only been in recent years that I started reading up on these philosophies because this is popular and common now in our present society. The new terminology is now called social justice. You find it everywhere in our culture, in all of our educational systems and professions, including movies and music. It is even predominant in many evangelical Christian circles. So here we go again. It's being presented once again as a new movement. Some have given this cultural movement the title Social Justice Religion. Now, back to the subject of how I got my dad involved, or let's say he got himself involved with my newfound religion. The yoga guru that the Beatles had made famous on their trip to India was coming to town. Of course, I wanted to go see him in person at the venue in Oakland. He looked just like he did in the magazines, but my dad wasn't impressed, as you can imagine. He sat up on the stage on the floor in the typical yoga position with his long, scraggly hair and white robes, and he seemed to be beaming the peace and happiness vibes out to his audience. Dad wasn't catching those vibes, though, and it was for sure a trying of his patience and self-control not to just get up and walk out. I was hoping my dad might want to learn about some new spiritual secrets, but that was for sure not his motive in going with me. We talked all the way home in the car about the evening. I don't even remember him saying that he thought the whole show was ridiculous while he listened to me and how impressed I was about the wisdom that the guru had been expounding. One thing that even I found strange was that in order to learn transcendental meditation— to find God, you would have to sign up and pay a fee. By then, I was already practicing yoga at home in my bedroom with the help of a paperback book that showed the poses. By then, I was already practicing yoga at home in my bedroom with the help of a paperback book showing the poses. I had bought an album of Zen music that helped me get into the mood and not to forget the burning incense that I lit in my little Buddha holder. I am sure my mom was getting annoyed with the smell floating down the hall into our living room, but at least she liked listening to my Beatles albums. She preferred, though, that I close my door when listening to Jimi Hendrix or Led Zeppelin on full blast. <laughs> 